Hello and welcome back to episode 8 of Gig Guide to Life podcast, the podcast all about exposing our guests' dirty musical laundry. This week I'm chatting to the host of iconic Manchester spoken word night, Punkin Drublick, the author of Birdfall and Flapjack Press poet Rob Stevenson. Hello. There he is, how are we doing? You alright? Oh, very good indeed, good to see you. Yeah. I've known Rob for a few years now and he was the first person to give me a headline slot at a poetry event, something I've been ever grateful for since it was a pleasure to sit down and chat all things music with him and we covered everything from murder dolls to jules holland and radiohead i'll be back at the end with more information but for now sit back relax and listen to episode eight of gig guide to life podcast with rob stevenson you know what i've been one of my favorite things about doing both these interviews and and poetry gigs Mm. seeing people's rooms <laughs> seeing people's backgrounds and seeing your um, Lynch poster in the background, I think. Yeah. I expected that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, something we've been doing on um, like Zoom socials is rate my fridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just find out what everyone's got in their fridge. Mike. Who's had the best fridge? Um, I, I win hands down every Fair time. Enough. Yeah, I've, I've always got um, a good amount of fresh fruit and veg and stuff, I think. Um, yeah, I think Do you so. stock it up just for the just to show it off, though? It, does, it goes well, off. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, something when we were like deep in the lockdown, something yeah. I was doing was um, so as to like give myself, obviously, like within the realms of safety, but so as to give myself a, an excuse to get out rather than doing a weekly shop. I'd just do like a shop for a couple of days yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because it would mean that I'd have to go out um, and, um, you know, actually see, breathe, breathe in fresh air and stuff. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it helped doing that. For sure. Yeah, it really did. Like, I, was, I was exactly the same, especially when I've moved out now, but when I did live in Manchester, um, mm. but just because there was a Tesco like, up like one minute away or whatever, so just going in mm. and I swear to God, I saw the guy at Tesco more than I ever have <laughs> Yeah, yeah, in my they, life, cool. and yeah, because you're not seeing anyone else, so you're like, ah, oh, I do, mate, you're right. Like, yeah, absolutely, it becomes a part of the uh, yeah. routine, doesn't it? Yeah, the, and um, I think it's overlooked like just how much shelf stackers and just like retail workers, people who work in supermarkets, are like such a key part of our everyday life and like they're so undervalued and bloody care workers as well like looking at the, the pay they get and um absolutely yeah no i've i've become very acquainted with uh, all of the staff of anco salvi so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a that's a beautiful place to to start mate we'll, we'll kick off the recording and stuff yeah um, so yeah welcome rob stevenson to Thank the you gig it's beautiful to see you mate it's nice it, you're the first um person that i've had on that i've got a personal relationship with as well as a professional oh, relationship. so it, uh, yeah it's, it's nice to see you well thank you for having me on will and um I've, i'm really really chuffed to be honest a fantastic uh fantastic podcast fantastic concept for a podcast and it's a great pleasure to talk to you as well because uh it's been nice to see you do do stuff over like zoom poetry gigs and stuff um but uh but it's nice to nice to have a chat There's, yeah uh, yeah 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 well this is again one of the things about doing this podcast is it's been super fun especially when mm. we're in the roles of of lockdown really early yeah so just have a chat for an hour oh bloody right yeah absolutely and it, and it, it um it makes such a 
such a difference. I mean, so, you know, Zoom socials are never the, quite the same as um, as, uh, as as RL socials, but uh, but because um, as they say, you know, like sixty percent of communication is non-verbal, and there's so much that you that's difficult to convey even in like a webcam conversation. But as a substitute, they have really helped, and I think they've brought people together who are, who are able to access them. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've found so um I, I work in a university in my day job and I've, I've, I've had to stay in touch with my students over it so it's um uh so it's good yeah yeah have yours um have your socials tailed off a little bit now i know mine have yeah i was doing every week we had quiz and uh, it's just yeah yeah <laughs> no it has it has tailed off i, I was um in favor of of actual uh social distance socials and and, and yeah drinks by the canal and um and now we can drink in pubs we can uh, have you been we can. yeah um I, I have i have kept it because to be honest my like i've just finished writing a piece about pubs and about a particular pub my favorite pub in the world and about how pivotal the part i think they are to uh communities just mm -hmm. in like the space they provide for respite and obviously like there's big problems with um drinking culture in the uk but when i've been when i've been to pubs um just two or three times since they reopened um i've been on my own twice uh just because i really like the environment to write uh so just sit on my own in a pub and then i've just kept it pretty cash um aside from that so i've not been out on the lash paint in the town red or anything like that but um but I, I hope that that's something i was talking to uh, the owner of cask on Ancoats marina and he was saying uh you know it's great that we're reopened but he hopes that there's like a long-term change to to drinking culture so we're, we all treat the space as as with respect and with something as something that's a setting for uh you know our our social lives rather than just a setting to get really pissed so yeah yeah no definitely i think that's a really interesting way to look at to look at the pub going experience i'm the same i've I, i've not been one for ages to be like oh let's, mm. let's have a big night out or whatever but yeah. the thing that i have missed the most about during lockdown is just like you said being able to go to the pub on like by yourself or with a couple of mates and just sit yeah. there and just chat the world away for a couple of hours absolutely and, yeah yeah and and it's and it's so um you know you realize it's you, you really i realized like a couple of weeks into the lockdown when they formally ordered the pubs mm. to play, which they they took their time doing um i realized like how how much i value that and, and just being able to be like well go and get a pint and mm. um and then yeah that's um it's it's really um yeah an, an essential part of um of our communities i think and and Something that I find really nice about pubs, I've, I've tried to like convey this in the piece I was writing. My favourite pub in Manchester's uh, the Marble Arch, which is a really old, beautiful Victorian pub, and they brew their own beer there and stuff. But the clientele there, it's um, it's a real nice like cross section of of society. So there's it, it's um, a lot of their products, a lot of their wet products and dry products is quite high end. Um, but it's like a drinking hole for yeah. um, a lot of the posties um, who work at the big post office sorting office and stuff. And um, so it's a, it's a really, you can be talking to people who you've got 
nothing in common with and and have a really nice time and and um that whole um that old joe joe cox quotes the the mp who was very sadly murdered a few years ago we there's we have more in common than with that, with that them, which divides us yeah that which divides us and i think uh, i think pubs are are really illustrative of that and in a in a really nice way it, you know you can be uh, the sort of dividing lines on on public opinion go out the window a little bit i've been talking to you know old men who are probably you know probably don't see eye to eye on a lot of things but find things in common and it's it's it's, um it's really nice yeah it's those small human pleasures that i've been off twitter right for the past Mm. week maybe maybe more Mm. um completely got rid of it just got i've still got the account but i've deleted all the apps yeah god damn (laughs) i enjoyed that Because what I've been seeing instead is my real life encounters going to the shop yeah, or go, yeah, walking the yeah. dog and, you know, having people come up and go, ah, oh, it's beautiful. And, you know, and like you said, I probably don't get on with the vast majority of these people really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't need to. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah. you know what I mean? You're not going to change everyone's mind about everything. Completely, and yeah. go, going around with that bitter attitude of like, well, it doesn't, doesn't get anyone anywhere, does it? Absolutely, absolutely. How have you found leaving Twitter for like your your well being and like your stress levels and all of that? Has it has it been really good? So good. And thing, yeah, I've always been anxious about having it in the back of my mind because of like work and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's something I I've stepped away from a little bit as, as just as much as possible with mm. deleting it. And I found that it's not impacted that at all, really. I'm yeah, still, yeah. I can still log on and share things if I need to. Well, yeah, just just yeah. by deleting the app, I've not got that urge to just scroll through just the and, and it becomes like, <laughs> a, it becomes like an an idle yeah yeah do, doesn't it? Like yeah. as soon as there's not something else going on, you're checking Twitter. And th- there's a book that I read very pertinently in the lockdown because I ended up having like an experience quite th- th- related to it. But the, um, the John Ronson book, so you've been publicly shamed uh, mm. about about. Um, the complexities of social media and um, and it doesn't take it doesn't take like a particular view on anything it's just very explorative about um, about about Twitter and about um, you know the the mentality that can arise um, from from jumping onto one point and um, it's yeah it's really really insightful it's a, a really really good book he's um yeah he's he's a, a good guy john monson he's been really good um obviously the 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 in the sort of recent uh the past week or so like the debates that have come up on social media about about cancel culture and stuff but he's taken a really uh a really diplomatic and uh sort of inviting view on it and he said that, that i think something he, he tweeted was along the lines of like it, we it's not as simple as I think essentially what you were saying was that it's not as simple as there being a culture of it at all. And, and yeah. that, you know, each, each situation is, has loads of complexities and um, it's not as simple as there being a problematic culture of people being cancelled over Twitter, yeah. but it's also not as, uh, it, each situation is different is what you were saying. And, yeah, and entirely. Uh, I, I, it's just sorry I'm butting in um, no, no. what I found really interesting about cancel culture that I was just considering this week is that I think 
it, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't believe in like horseshoe theory of politics or anything, but I do believe yeah. in horseshoe theory of cancel culture. I think the yes. people that complain about cancel culture are neither on the far right or the far left. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but the, the people counselling are those people on the extremes of both views. Absolutely. It's not just yeah, the left. Yeah. It's equal parts of the right going, you know, Shemaya Belgium. You know, that's Absolutely. cancel culture. yeah, yeah. And people, Owen Jones made a really good yeah. point. He said, um, he said, when people talk about cancel culture, they never, in, they never include the vile abuse that Diane Abbott gets, like the um, recently Dawn Butler, like stuff. Mm. And the fact that he was uh, assaulted, like really badly beaten up as a journalist, but for the views that he holds. So, like, when people use the term, they, they're often just referring to people who they agree with facing yeah. consequences for things that they've said that are problematic online whereas actually if you are to use a term like that you have to you, you it's, should the, it's culture yeah exactly yeah 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 it's yeah it's again it, the whole thing is just completely roundabout ricky gervais beloved by mm. people across the political spectrum mm, mm. hates cancel culture yeah he's yeah vegan and he's quite leftist in his views do you know what yeah. I mean? it's much more complicated than left is, yeah and, and it's each individual situation, yeah. isn't it? Because it's like, um, you know, often we can make assumptions from uh, something that somebody says on Twitter, but the, the nature of Twitter is that we have to distill any idea that we've got down to yeah. 280 characters now. And that's like, if it's good to, like, I find in writing poetry, it's good to try to be as concise as possible but that's also a really ineffective way of communicating <laughs> yeah. really serious things. And if, it's almost as though like Twitter has become reserved for those really serious things when actually what it's most effective at is just sharing a little just joke. And stupid things, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's really bizarre that that out of all the social platforms is the one that Donald Trump has an account on and policy is, is literally it? shaped yeah. on it. I, the, it I don't Facebook. know what to make of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be any of them, should it? No, well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> this discourse takes place at a much higher, or it should, higher level than yeah. social posts. I don't know how we've got onto, onto that, but I'm quite happy so, with it. There we go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I suppose what, what, what we started off with is the, the communal experience of um, a pub and, by extension, of live music. I've seen yeah. that uh, Punk is, has got a, a date scheduled to return. We do, yeah. So it's been something we've uh, sort of tentatively uh, approached. Um, Lock 91, the venue that we run from, are amazingly supportive. They're really, really good. And um, they've been really sort of um, cheering us on since we started doing it there. Um, there's other venues we run out as well, Reasons to be Cheerful, who are fantastic, um, who just recently reopened. But Lock 91 have properly reopened. And what we we're we've not gone into the minutiae of it mm. as of yet but it's looking likely by the date that we've got penciled in the 15th of october um that we will be able to set up um a performance space with socially distanced seating that allows um a good capacity um so it will inevitably be a bit of a drop of capacity i'm sure yeah. uh, but um i mean safety always at the end of the day has to be the priority um but it looks optimistic at the moment i mean no one's got a crystal ball and knows what's around the corner but but fingers and toes crossed that um you know as a 
as a society we're over the worst of this and things can slowly a lot of the things that we loved and enjoyed we can slowly start to love and enjoy again it's something um that me and you are in quite a beneficial position for us i was speaking mm. to, to uh, rowan mccabe about this when he came on the podcast yes yeah um, about the fact Fantastic, that Rowan. yeah he's brilliant mm. and he mentioned that poetry might have a chance of returning before music I think so, yeah. there's there's not as many levels to, 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 to comprehend with you, you don't have to shout above music there's very yeah, one. Yeah. you could do it without a microphone if you really need to yeah yeah it's all about people just coming and listening and the experience might change a little bit it might be a little bit less raw, yeah. raucous and a bit more you know shakespeare but mm. It does seem like we might be the first to really return to stage, which is, which is nice. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, like, the live events industry on the whole, mm. um, I know that there's been, like, the Rishi Sunak's put, like, 1.57 billion in and stuff, but, like, I don't think that's enough, to be honest. <laughs> um, well, it's just because, like, the, the arts are very vague. And yes. there's lots, there's like live music itself um, is, puts 4.5 billion into the economy. And But um, with what you said about poetry coming back first, I think it makes me feel very privileged to, that that's what, what I do. Um, but, but also um, it is very practical. You don't need a big setup. You don't need a lot of the, you know, you, you but often you don't even need a sound man, you, don't need, you, you know, so it's, it's very adaptable. And, and there's lots, of, it's very unique in that sense. It's because it, it encompasses loads of different parts of music, of, of theatre and monologues and of, um, uh, of uh, hip hop, of, of, of comedy, of loads of other things. But, but yeah, it's, it's good, good news in that sense that mm. we'll be back soon. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, before we move on to the format, I want to pick your brains about that Rishi, Rishi figure again. Because yeah. I, th I think you're right. And I, th I think the issue is, and I've always felt this, is the idea of having a culture secretary, I don't even know the, the current guy's name, but who seems so far removed from what culture actually is. Absolutely, yeah. It just yeah. obviously a politic. You know what I mean. I'm not saying we get into the Donald Trump or like Kanye. Mm. Like, let's have a celebrity yeah. president. <laughs> but when it comes to culture, surely you want someone who is for, who has been part of culture to be in charge yeah. of that money. Yeah, yeah. Completely. And um, if you look back at previous appointments for the role, you know, Jeremy Hunt was culture, yeah, culture yeah, secretary, yeah, yeah. secretary. Like, I think the thing with um, the UK, by comparison to other countries, um, I learned this in, in doing the job I did working in a music university, but per capita, um, so not per capita, sorry, um, for, for GDP, as a proportion of GDP, our music industry is bigger than it is for any other nation in the world. Mm. Um, it makes up a, a bigger proportion like the, the amount that we export as a, as a nation. The, the other thing is like, uh, not that I'm massively interested in the economics of it, but like economically, we are much more a service economy than we are a manufacturing economy. And live events, be it poetry, be it music, be it what, whatever, be it theatre, be it comedy, um, they they are entwined with the service mm. sector, with with hospitality, um, because they they occur in the evening when people go out for for food, go out for a drink. And um, like 
you know, one relies on the other and they, they feed into each other. As I said, with the really good relationship I've developed with Lock 91, um, really, you know, those two parts, the live events and hospitality are completely entwined. So when Rishi Sunak announced like this 1.57 billion for the arts, I was like, well, that's, you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction, but, um, it it sort of it sort of needs to be broader like the 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 arts is such a general term and that encompasses art galleries it encompasses theatres and um it encompasses you know little gigs in a back room somewhere and and they all all of those things have completely different needs and um I hope something, it might be optimistic, but I hope something that does come out of it is that, um, you know, if there are um, sort of financial injections into the, into the live events sector and into the art sector, that they filter down effectively because before all of this, the normal that we had wasn't very good in the no, yeah, 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 crazy, exactly. crazy amount of class privilege in the, in, in, in the arts sector in, in poetry and comedy and theatre and music etc and um and you know it, it it has to filter down it has to filter down to diy independent self-employed performers it has to filter down has to filter down to schools as well like um music and uh the art performing arts as generally but they've been really delegitimized um of the past 10 years and they they they're really important like they're not just some uh they're not just there for the purpose of you know students having a bit of fun it's they're really really important things and you know the economic figures how much they give to the economy says it all really so i hope that that can come about that's beautiful. I love that. It uh, <laughs> might be a dreamscape, but it's, it's a lovely yeah. idea. Yeah. So once we've got past severe sweeping changes to the um, political landscape of the country, yes. let's move on to live music. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I suppose something I've, I've always been curious um, with yourself is I've, I vaguely know your your interest in music, your genres and, and stuff mm-hmm. that you're, you're into, but we've never sat down and had a good old chat about it. So. Uh-huh. All too glad of the opportunity. Let's go for it. Yeah. What is the first gig that you ever remember going to? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, so I had I actually had two within the space of a month. Okay. And they were, um, I was uh, 12 years old. It was, in two, uh, it was in 2002. The first one was at the MEM. And it was um, corn with special guests, puddle of mud. Um, <laughs> that's very 2002 yeah and there was um there was another band called trust company um <laughs> but um it, it, it um when puddle of mud over the lockdown went viral with that terrible nirvana cover it, it brought it all back um, <laughs> but that was like my first official gig and then i went to um I, went, I, went, I think a couple of weeks later my dad took me to see jules holland and his rhythm and blues orchestra which was really cool it's yeah. very 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 big change of pace yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you know what corn i'll give you that that's all right <laughs> it's not it's not too bad what's the um what's the most recent thing you went to oh that's a really good point um it feels like years yeah ago. it's proper stretching everyone's memory as we keep doing yeah. this <laughs> well in 
just before Christmas, I, I went to Kate Tempest at the Albert Hall, um, which was really good. Um, and oh, I've seen a few smaller gigs in um, little venues. There's there been a lot of things that I missed and was really gutted about. Yeah. Um, I um, I missed. There's a so there's a um, very young um, aspiring. I'd call him like a pseudo rapper because it's not really rap, um, and it's a it's very unique. It's very funny. A guy called Jimothy Lacoste. Yes, I have heard this name. I've never actually gone and checked him out, mainly because of the name. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, Is no. It... <laughs> I, I just think, do you know what? He's probably he's probably perfectly talented because I've heard quite a few people say, "Oh yeah, you probably like this," but I, it's a, I can't get over the name. <laughs> I know, no, I don't, I don't blame you. It's a, it's a, and it's not even his real name, so he's he's put thought into coming up with it's, a name yeah. so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it makes it better or worse. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. I, um, but how was how was he live? Um, no, I, I, unfortunately, I missed mm. him, which was I was sorry, I was good about. Uh, but. Uh, Kate Tempest at the Albert Hall was absolutely mind-blowingly good, and and I've, I've seen her, God knows how many times now. I've seen her doing like theatre stuff and and shows that she's done there. But then um, um, when she did her first two albums, they were hip hop albums. Um, but um, yeah, out, absolutely out of this world. And the Albert Hall is a really beautiful venue. It's a perfect well. place for it. Yeah, it really it is. Really is. Yeah, yeah. Because it was. Um, it was an old Brannigan's bar for years and it was just like neglected. But, um, but yeah, Mission Mars, the company who run it, have, um, it, it, they've done really, really well. Just come through his news today, of course, yeah. they're, they're too bad. It's absolutely tragic, isn't it? It's really bad news. It's such a difficult one. Like, I, I was, um, do you know what? Weird little piece of information here. Yesterday, I actually was on a, one of the, you know, their marketing call things. Like yeah. where, they, where they just like contact random members of the public and they're like, what, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And mm. it was about pubs reopening. I probably can't say much else because of like whatever, but. Oh, right. Yeah. And they, they, were, <laughs> they were speaking um, about when do you feel comfortable going back to the pubs and stuff. And yeah. people were speaking about pubs uh, as very homogenous. Like you've got Spoons, you've got Green King and all these, mm. like, you know, the big chains. And I sort of thought, well, it, you're right. Mission Mars is a really interesting example because when you think of, Gorilla or Death Institute or Albert Hall, mm. they seem like independent venues, right? Mm. And then if two independent venues go bust, you think, right, well, that's terrible, but I can understand why mm. that makes it during lockdown. When two venues are owned by a company that's actually pretty sizable in Manchester, yeah, yeah. like that seems like a much bigger loss all of a sudden because the, oh, yeah. the finance of that doesn't add up. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you think, how if those are if those venues aren't profitable yeah then we're getting into a really t <laughs> mucky waters here absolutely yeah I, I have read um i mean i know sasha lord the um knights are of manchester and, and andy burnham's tweeted about it as well but um yeah the mission mars um are i mean said that they're well established. i i moved up to manchester in 2009 and at the time mission mars is the trough group so we have trough and all of that and they at the time they just had like trough fallowfield and trough northern quarter and they yeah. just got the death institute but they um but they've grown and become like um 
an absolutely essential part of the live music scene in Manchester. I mean, all those three venues, you know, Def Gorilla and, um, and the Albert Hall, they're, the, you know, some of the best places to see live music in town, really. So it's, um, it's a really big thing. And I, I do hope that some kind of, whether it be a, like some kind of rescue package or, or whether, you know, somebody else is able to buy out those venues, yeah, you know, I hope, yeah. I hope that come about. I, I, Def was actually weirdly the, the last venue I performed at um, doing spoken word just before uh, lockdown. Really weird. Which, um, which night was that? Was it? Uh, you're asking me a lot to remember now off the top of my head. I got asked to do it as a dropout. Someone had dropped out and they uh, contacted me and just said, um, do you want to come and do it? It's tonight. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, uh, and I had no idea what was around the corner in terms of lockdown. Um, yes, obviously, we, yeah. we, all, we all felt it was on the way a little bit. Uh, yeah. But not necessarily so soon. It was literally like two or three days after I'd done this gig. That, you know, no, no more for the foreseeable. Yeah. And it's it, it, I've seen loads of brilliant bands there, and they do they did a banging vegan menu as well. And it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a massive loss in it. And, and you think so, like mm. you say, someone else hopefully will come along and, and buy that venue up. But mm. whether it remains, you know, in its like esteem and, and managers to yeah, keep yeah. staff on because a venue is so much more than a building isn't it like it's like absolutely it's, 100% yeah. it's the team working there booking the bands the, mm. serving the right beers making sure that the food's good like yeah yeah, yeah. so and many yeah, the regulars who who, who yeah. come in as well and, and it's, it's, it serves the community doesn't it it really does yeah it's a yeah it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing and I, I, I do fear for particularly us locally i mean we have having lost like sound control as well in recent years yeah yeah it's something that desperately needs some some sort of intervention like you say hopefully there's people in place to be doing that like sasha lord who you know mm. will hopefully step in um again I, I think this is just gonna be a depressing podcast mate i'm sorry about that it's just <laughs> no, getting back no, to these well we're in we're in difficult times but I think, there's, I think there's um i think there's room for optimism as we were saying before i think poetry gigs are likely to start quite soon mm. um and um i know festivals are planning for next year i think um the other thing is with with festivals um anything outdoors obviously anything crowded is very high risk but anything outdoors is yeah, sub- goes down. Sub- lower risk so um so um yeah pot- potentially room for optimism yeah. there well yeah you- You've uh, you've stumbled onto my next question there, so we'll we'll go into it. Which is, what is your favourite memory from a festival? Whether that uh, be Blue Dot as well, if you want to speak about that a little bit. Oh, of course, yeah. Can I? Can I? Um, oh, can I do? Right, well, I've got a as many memory. as you like, mate. <laughs> I've got a favourite memory. I've got a uh, most shameful memory as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, on the most favourite favorite recent memory, so with Punk and Drublet, we were on um, stages at Blue Dot and Kendall Calling Festival, which is uh, both of which are amazing festivals. And from the fields, the TV run were amazing. And um, Blue Dot is at um, Jockwell Bank Observatory, and it's a beautiful setting. They've got the big satellite dish and stuff. Um, on the, we we performed on the Friday, and um, we. I wasn't expecting for us to have much of a crowd. And we ended up with this rammed tent and I was terrified before I went on. 
and I, I've never been so terrified for a gig and I was shaking all over and when it when it when I went on stage and it started to go well um but you know it was just a rush of um of, of fulfillment and gratification but we did on the Friday we had um Hannah Platt who's a fantastic uh manga comedian uh Rosie Fleishman and Alex Slater who were both amazing from Speak um and then Fat Roland from Bad Language but we we finished up and Kate Tempest was on just at like about half an hour after we finished the performance. So I ran through and got to the uh, near the front of the stage and we were just waiting for her to come on. And then um, I was like, who's that? who's that? And it was Jarvis Cocker. Jarvis oh. Cocker had just, just come down to watch Kate Tempest. Um, I was like, is and I was like, oh, I'm going over. Because so, I was yeah, like, yeah, on yeah, top yeah, of yeah. the world. I was like, Jarvis, great to meet you. And, and uh, I, I tried to be a bit conscientious. I was conscious he didn't. He probably didn't want uh, to have it. So I had a quiet word with him, and I'd seen Pulp at probably my favourite festival memory. They did a secret set at Glastonbury in mm. 2011 on the park stage. So I've got to say, you know, that was the best gig of my life. It was absolutely amazing, and um, he was really lovely and re like really nice. And I said to him, um, "Our oh, jobs. I'll, I'll leave you to it anyway. But would you mind if I got a picture?" And uh, he, he said, uh, well, we're in a big crowd, Rob, and I don't want to draw attention to myself. But uh, he remembered my name. And then he took his glasses off and said, uh, but I'm looking into your eyes and connecting with you. And oh, when we went weak at the knees, so I was like, that's better than a picture. Yeah, anyway. that's made me a bit wobbly, bloody hell. <laughs> that is but, beautiful. Um, uh, so that, that was... Um, that was really nice. I'm mi I'm really missed, but I'm missing the festival season massively yeah. this year. I'm I'm very lucky. Um, I had a mate's dad who started taking us to festivals when we were kids, which was which was really good. I, I was 12, 13 when I went to my first one. I went to the first ever download festival, which was oh really wow, cool. yeah. Um, and saw the lo loads of bands who've like dropped them, but murder dolls, murder um, <laughs> dolls, murder yeah. dolls. That is a you know what? great fun that band, weren't they? Amazingly good, so fun, much yeah. fun, ridiculous. And there's, there's not enough. So I, I don't want to call them a novelty act, but they're yeah. a bit of a novelty act in that sense. But there's not enough like that these days. No, everything's a little bit serious, at least in the world of like rock and rock and metal. I think there's there's a lot. Yeah. Of, a lot of fun hip-hop acts about. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree. I think metal might take itself a little bit too seriously too, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And there's, for them, having like something with a good bit of humour in, that, that was really good. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just a really good um, live performance. Um, but my most shameful uh, festival experience, and, and it takes quite a lot because I think festivals are somewhere where you get, de-shamed in the yeah life. absolutely yeah i'm quite curious about this because there is no shame in a festival well yeah um and 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 because everybody comes together everyone's up against the elements nobody is in like a a dignified state yeah. and it's all a bit um um but yeah my most shameful experience uh is <laughs> is as follows um as you can uh, tell from my physical appearance i am a person with uh, a propensity uh, towards violence um, and <laughs> um, but uh, so right so what happened was um, it was at Glastonbury in 2011 they were doing they had these secret sets on the uh, the park stage which is like a stage on a hill um, and Pulp did one and I got to see Pulp and I got I got right to the front and it was amazing but 
um, there was all this talk going around that radio, Radiohead are doing a set. The fact we've got you got to turn right. up at yeah, three yeah, o'clock. Yeah. And um, I brought my little sister with me, uh, and uh, she wasn't much of a Radiohead fan. So I was like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll just go and see. Let, let, let me just go, so just in case they do turn up. So we came, and I, I admittedly probably dragged her through a crowd that she wasn't really up for getting in, and it ended up quite a serious crowd crush and it turned out Radiohead were on so they came on and they did they'd just done King of Limbs um, and they started playing stuff from that but anyway it was a very uncomfortable crowd crush and out of the corner of my eye like everyone was like looking after each other but it was very very cramped out of the corner of my eye I started seeing almost like that scene in Jurassic Park where you see the trees moving. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I saw this, um, this great big, um, like six foot something bloke who, um, I, I can only assume he probably had too much to drink, but was in the most obnoxious and like violent way, holding these um, pipes, or just like pushing people out of the way in the crowd. And I was like, who's this? What's he think he's doing? And, I could see him coming closer, but I could see like bodies just going like this. And I was like, oh no. And I started to like really panic about it. And uh, my sister was maybe about uh, two or three feet in front of me and I could see him coming towards my sister. And then I just saw her body um, like go like this um, as he like trampled over her. And I didn't know what to do. And just out of, and this is the only time I've ever done this in my life, <laughs> just out of panic. I punched him, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, not everyone around could see what had gone on. So everyone yeah. like jumped in and was like, "Oh, what's going on?" And I was like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" And I knocked him right over. I felt that, but I got my sister. I was like, "We'll, we'll have to go." Um, <laughs> so, so we went to back. I've got somewhere to be. I've got somewhere to be. So I went back, but I cried because I was so gutted that I that I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was at Glastonbury and I just punched someone while and Radiohead did, of all bands were playing as well. So I missed uh, the majority of Radiohead. Oh set no! Because I I'd, um, because I punched someone. And Do I'm you know what? It's not. If Rage Against the Machine were playing, I could understand the urge to punch him. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just very soothingly playing Kid A in the background. Yeah. Well, yeah, with, with, um, with Idiotech on. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> or in yeah, slow motion. It, it was a weird juxtaposition. I hope he's all right. I'm sure he was just a bit drunk and didn't realise I mean, what he was doing. But he I'm was sure really, he didn't ob him. really obnoxious. And, um, I've got, that's something I've, as I've gotten older, when, when I used to go to gigs as like a teenager, when I used to be like completely fearless with crowds. And I'd say to my yeah. friends, I was like, oh, are we going to the front? And they'd be like, oh, no, it's all crowded. I'd be like, oh, screw you guys. I'm going to the front on my own. Um, but, oh, I'm not as good anymore. And I don't, I, you know what? I'm exactly the same. And I, like, it's partially just because I can't be bothered. Like, I yeah. think I can, it sounds good. I'm quite, I've yeah, got a yeah. Like, yeah. I'm all right. I just, yeah, I can that's see a, it. Yeah. There's, there's very little actual distinct advantage when you break it down to being four foot closer. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it and, feels and, like the most important thing ever at the time. Yeah, like, go, mm, very uncomfortable. <laughs> it, well, it is. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the contorted positions you put yourself <laughs> into in order to do it um, uh, don't make it worthwhile. So. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. What is Rob Stevenson 
the worst act you've ever seen live? Oh, ah, okay. I've got I've got an answer in my head. Um, so I saw the the Red Hot Chili Peppers at uh, at the Etihad. Um, and it wasn't the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The the Red Hot Chili Peppers had James Brown supporting, and okay. James Brown was out of this world. It was like a, a year a year or so before he died. And and if you have James Brown supporting yeah. you, you can, that's not an act you can follow. So I mean, they didn't fare all that well yeah. uh, following James Brown. But the but there was an act on before James Brown, who I've since listened to and sort of got into a little bit. But the act was called Chicks on Speed, and. <laughs> But if you're preceding James Brown and then the, the, the Chili Peppers, you, it, it was just a little bit mismatched. I think I was probably only about 14 or 15 at the time. But, the, um, but yeah, it didn't, didn't float my boat uh, so much. I've done a lot of um, going to see bands for a partner. Like, oh, I loved the time we went to yeah, see yeah, yeah. one together. Like, come <laughs> But... Um, but been pleasantly surprised by acts I wouldn't otherwise. Okay, who's who's been the biggest biggest turnaround? Um, Mumford and Sons put on a good show, uh, but uh, oh, the last the last night of that Glastonbury where I where I, where I punched someone. <laughs> um, they as is the case with Glastonbury because it's so ridiculously big. There's an absurd amount of clashes, mm. um, and on the last night. Um, they had the streets, um, which was supposed to be their last ever UK performance yeah. at the time. But obviously, they've started doing it again. Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Jimmy Cliff, DJ Shadow, um, and then Beyonce. And I love Beyonce, but the four aforementioned acts I was far more interested in. But my little sister was driving us home, so uh, she got to pick. And I went to Beyonce, and I would say Beyonce is the best headline performance I've ever seen at Glastonbury, like hands down. Really? Do you know what? Fair play. I, I, yeah, I can see that. I've, uh, I've got a lot of time for a big pop, big pop show. Like one of the best yeah. things I've ever seen is Lady Gaga. She was wow, brilliant. Yeah. Just nonstop fun. You know, I was speaking about with the rock, yeah. just over the top and ridiculous. And yeah, yeah. People that love it really love it as well. Oh, they do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're watching people. It was like last year, you know, when there were the Spice Girls reunion concerts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Manchester turned into Spice Girls. I mean, I suppose it is always a bit really? Spice <laughs> But um, he's always on. <laughs> but watching like the fat, like just the the crazy fandom. It's um, yeah, it's really nice to see in many ways, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. What is the thing that you've had the? It's hard to phrase this question. The thing that you've had the most anticipation for. Prepared for and and did it live up to it? Oh, oh, that's a good point. That's good. That's a really good one. Well, um, <laughs> not not Radiohead at Glastonbury. <laughs> that that didn't live up to it. Um, oh, oh, um, one of my favourite bands in the world is uh, Sigur Ross and. Um, I saw them at the Apollo when I, when, um, when I was about 16, but then I saw them at Jodrell Bank. Um, yeah. Before they had Blue Dot Festival, they used to have one-off gigs at Jodrell Bank. 
and my mum lives quite close to Jodlub Bank. So when Sigur Ross announced they were doing that, I was like, this is ideal and it's a beautiful setting. And, um, and it lived up to it every bit. It had, they had like beautiful projections onto the dish and stuff. Um, yeah, that was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, very, very, very much so. There you go. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful mm. answer. Yeah, I love that. I think the setting really does affect, especially when it's outdoors, but indoors yeah. at the Albert Hall really does affect how, what the, um, how the music comes across. Like, mm. and, it, and that could be both good and bad ways. I remember um, I was at a metal festival in, what was it, 2013, 14, I can't remember. Yeah. Black metal festival, uh, heavy metal festival, uh, Bloodstock, yeah. and a black uh, metal band, uh, Watain, were playing. Brilliant. I've heard of Watain, yeah. A fantastic live, and they very much commit to the, the black metal thing. They've got, like, rotten bits of meat on stage. And, oh, wow. But, but yeah. it was a beautiful August bank holiday, and it was about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. The effect wasn't quite as powerful. Yeah. <laughs> because you just... Yeah. These people on stage really, you know, hailing Satan. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant music. I really like it. But you looked up and you thought, oh, lovely cider. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can just smell the blossom in the yeah. air. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah, I love that. It really does make a big difference. What are your plans for the rest of lockdown? Well, the plans for the rest of the year, hopefully, if it, if it, if it evens out. Yeah, um, well, I'm got, so there's some things that I've been doing over lockdown that have been an absolute anchor for my uh, mental health. Anchor's a rubbish analogy there, actually. Isn't it? <laughs> that they've been right down. down uh, they've been they've been helpful. Um, I've been going out on uh, socially distanced runs with uh, with Dominic Berry and with my friend Paul, uh, which is really nice. Um, and so I'm going to continue doing that. Um, I'm writing more than ever. So when lockdown sort of started, I was very much of the mindset that um, you know this is a really Mm. difficult situation and um, whilst I am working from home I have a bit more free time not digging in the evenings um, it would be unrealistic for me to pressure myself into writing my um, finest work yeah, 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 yeah. but then um, a few weeks into the lockdown uh, Paul from Flapjack Press got in touch with me and I'm um, I'm signed up with Flapjack to uh, put out a debut collection for next year which I'm absolutely over the moon about um and they're a brilliant publisher they got shortlisted for like the saboteur this year and they they've got so many dominic berry tony walsh genevieve walsh um jackie hagan fit richard loads of of cool people they've published um so i'm writing um writing more than i ever have um and um it's it's been good because um i started lockdown with that mindset of like it's not realistic to pressurise yourself to get drafts, etc. It's given me a proper kick up the arse, and I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really enjoying writing. Though uh, that being said, I do want to uh, get out, and I want to get, I, I want to maybe go to. Uh, go to the go and do some camping in the in the countryside. Yeah, we were looking at doing a little mini break soon because mm. I think. The hotels are all, all opened up and stuff again and then yeah camping's a really good shout though actually i hadn't even thought of that but yeah that's yeah. properly properly distanced just on some farmer's field yeah yeah that's it and there's um i think as well like we 
in Manchester, we're on with an hour or two's drive up to the Lake District. We've got the Peak District as well. Um, so making the most of that and um, doing a bit of exploring, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's it's good for the soul. I yeah, suppose. 100%. Do you think mm. you've been writing about lockdown or have you been trying to actively avoid it? Because I, so I was thinking yeah. in a broader context, right? In, in, in terms of both, because I've written, a, I've written an album during this. I've, we've written our whole second album and oh. it's touched on it a little bit, but mm. I've tried not to go into too much detail. But also at the same time, all writing is like, it's, it's a time capsule, isn't it? Right? That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It is. Yeah, yeah. So it feels a little bit disingenuous not to speak about it at all, but also I'm very much aware that when we come back and I think with Switchblade, when we come back, we're going to be very much banning lockdown based work because yes, otherwise yeah. get nights full of them. Absolutely. So, uh, how have you found that balance? Um, that's a really good point. I actually haven't written about lockdown and it's not been so much a conscious decision to avoid it. And I think it has probably colored some of the stuff I have written. Um, but, Part of the reason I haven't is that um, I felt in some ways I was a bit late off the mark um, with it. So um, there's a fantastic poet um, in London who I've got so much time for. She's a brilliant poet, a really good um, activist. She's a trade unionist um, called Janine Booth. Um, And she's, uh, uh, what do you you call it? she's been able to get a load of poets together. There's a word that I'm looking for. <laughs> she's coordinated a load of poets. There we go. Uh, um, and published a book called Coronaverses. Um, but she's had some really, really good folks in there. Attila, the stockbrokers, um, contributed some stuff. There's some really Manchester poets who have as well. Um, so I would say lockdown has coloured my writing. And it's, because you know, because of the conditions of it. But um, I've not written about it specifically i am always mindful when things are difficult that it is actually a really good time to get as much down Mm. on paper but as there's that old neil young quote where he said um all of the best writing is made at the beginning of the end and at the end of relationships um i think i really click with that you know Mm. i think um i think adversity um and channeling um, the feelings that adversity brings about um, is often the basis for good, really good art. Not that, I, not that I think we should put ourselves through that yeah. purposefully. But. And I think the Neil Young quote doesn't necessarily just reflect on like um, romantic relationships. Of course, yeah, yeah. But the way that we interact with our friends, family, you know, all that sort mm. of stuff, which has yeah. all dra- drastically changed, doesn't it? So Hugely, yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, I think it's important to uh, to try and reflect on on positives, and obviously, like we've, we've lived through a time that's been rife in tragedy. But something else is that, not albeit not physically, it has brought people together in some ways. And mm. um, you know, if we think back to before the lockdown and like you know December last year, we were a very very divided society, and um, and um, I, I've got sort of lots of relatives who I, I have very little in common with and who, who really get on my nerves with some of the stuff they come out with. But I've, I've made a point of just messaging them to check in and that they're okay. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think it's nice, um, as is often the case, like diversity does bring people together out of necessity in some ways. Yeah, yeah. it swings back around to what we were saying uh, right at the head of this, uh, this podcast, yeah. which is that social media is, is the, the most powerful thing in the world, right? Yeah. And it can, it can heal and it can divide just as easily. Mm. And it, I don't even think yeah. we, as the users, have that much power on what it does. It's yeah. entirely based on what you get shown, right? Completely, yeah, yeah, that's it. And in many ways, I think people overlook, um, like, when we engage in things that gather traction on social media, that is what's profitable to social media companies. And, and the, the, to Twitter, to Facebook, to Google, etc. cetera. Um, and it is, it's all too often the case that the thing that ga- things that gather most traction are outrage. Outrage, yeah. yeah I, I knew you were going to say the exact same word. Yeah, it's definitely so, it's outrage. Have you read um, Dotty Charles's book, Outrage? No, no, no. Yeah. That and um, Akala's book as well is what I've been... Oh, yeah. So I've... I've um, I'm, it's on my list to buy when I'm paid um, a Carver's book. He's he's absolutely fantastic. I've got so much time for him, and he's, Phenomenal. he's so, so full of insight. He's um, he's what's something that's really blew my mind about him because I always knew he's a very uh, intelligent guy, like hugely mm. intelligent. But the way he delivers his written uh, rhythm speech that is very distinctly his, in the same way that yours yeah. is yours and mine is mine, mm. onto page is yeah. the most phenomenal I've ever read from any author. Mm. If it, it sounds like he's dictated the book and it works yeah, yeah. perfectly. Do you know what I mean by that? The- oh, absolutely, yeah. Because there's a, there's a disconnect, isn't there? Like um, when you are used to one art form being mm. performed, like it doesn't necessarily trans well, it doesn't necessarily translate from the stage to the page. And... Um, and having um, putting thought into how to convey that is really is something I'm thinking about it a lot more with with writing because you um, being able to read something and feel as though the pages are performing to you is I mean being able to get to have that effect is amazing you know that's beautiful I think that's a lovely place to wrap up as well Rob where can we catch you on socials uh, um, you can catch me, you can follow me. Um, I'm going to be walking into the Northern Quarter shortly after this. Now, <laughs> um, uh, on, on Twitter, I am marble underscore Rob um, uh, because of the marble arch. Um, I've run a quiz there. Um, and then Punky Drublet Poetry is on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Um, and we're posting lots of stuff. Um, from there, I'm go- I've, I've been filming a few videos, and we're going to be putting some stuff out through there. I've quite been soon. enjoying these. I've been enjoying. These. <laughs> so yeah, I would I would highly recommend going and giving that a follow. That's beautiful. <laughs> we're going to wrap up the podcast now. Nice one, mate. Cheers for coming Great on. Great pleasure. Thank it's, you very much, Will. That was Rob Stevenson, a generally very talented poet host and lovely bloke please go and follow him like subscribe uh pumpkin Drublik on all the outlets that he mentioned it's a really really brilliant night really wonderful cause as well all the money raised goes to mustard tree homeless charity in manchester i've been will stevenson i am the host editor and producer of gig guide to life podcast you can go and find me on instagram at 2j art you can find my music bodies uk on spotify itunes and all the normal 
digital platforms. Uh, that about wraps things up for this week. Thanks uh, to Ellie Stevenson for the artwork. And thanks for yourself for tuning in. Please, if you've enjoyed this episode, give us a rate, write, subscribe. All the usual stuff over on Apple Podcasts and it'll make me a very happy bunny. We've got two episodes left of season one of the podcast with two very brilliant guests coming up. Then we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a few weeks. So please stay tuned, tell your mates and uh, yeah, have a nice week. See you later.